Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to our Sunday morning gathering that we call the Digital Cathedral. Uh, it's hard to believe, but this morning we're going to be launching into the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bible handy, you might want to go get it or reach over and pull it off the coffee table. And we're going to be looking at chapter one of Colossians. This is a study, if you've been with me, and, and a lot of you have since the beginning of the year when we started with the book of Galatians. And we've come through, we set a goal this year to go through four books. So it looks like we may end this study sometime in the middle of September. This is August the 9th. So I think, you know, this is Colossians 1. So sometime middle of September, we probably will wrap this study up. It's been good. It's been, uh, it's been revelatory, to say the least. I have learned so much from coming through these four books. And we haven't done chapter verse by verse, but what we've tried to do is to go through and pick out some of the verses that really speak to us today to see what Paul was trying to form in the believers in his day that's relevant to us today. So if you have your Bible, we're going to come over to Colossians 1, and we're going to start with verse uh, 1, and we're going to come down through verse 18. I'll tell you right up front, these, first, these 18 verses are going to take me two weeks I, I did. I researched, I studied, I'm ready to go, and I looked at the quantity of material that I have, and I decided I need to stretch this in to two weeks, because this is an amazing book. Colossians is an amazing book. Every one of these books that we studied, as we've studied them, I go, this is my favorite. I thought Galatians was my favorite, because of Paul's warring against uh, uh, mixing law and grace. And then we, as we move through each book, I love the emphasis that Paul, Paul puts on them. And this book, Colossians, may be the deepest theological of any of the writings that Paul did. This book, if, you will, if you'll let it sink deep into your spirit, this book will absolutely put you on tilt concerning the Christ. When we're done with this, you're going to see that Christ was not Jesus' last name. I had somebody text me not long ago and ask me that. If, was Christ Jesus' last name? No, Christ was not Jesus' last name. Christ is a revelation of the divine part of Jesus who was the human part. So we have, we have the Christ who was 100% divine fully coming into you and you with Jesus, the man that was 100% human. Christ, and I'll probably repeat this a lot of times as we come through the book, but Christ was the eternal spirit who was always with the Father before he took on the flesh body that we call Christ. When John talks about the word in the beginning and all things were created by him, we're talking about the work of the Christ. Now, when we look back, Ephesians emphasizes the body and Colossians focuses on the head. There are four chapters in Colossians. The first two are relatively uh, heavy theologically, and the last two chapters are, are pretty practical. But in order to walk out and live the practical, he lays the foundation of the theological. And I think Paul has a very clear motivation in writing to the church at Colossae, the things that he writes them in these four chapters. Paul's, Paul's motivation, as I read through the book, is to reveal the preeminence of the Christ in all things and to all things. Now, let me say that again. What Paul is trying to do is to reveal the preeminence of the Christ in all things. There is nothing that the Christ has not filled. 
and he's revealing the preeminence of the Christ to all things. So that as sons and daughters, and this is where Paul brings it to the, to the Colossians, so that as sons and daughters, we should be able to reflect the preeminence because honestly, he is the source, he's the root, he's the ground, uh, grounded part uh, of our lives that should show the fullness of the Godhead within us. So let me, let me just say that again. He's revealing the preeminence of the Christ in all things and to all things so that as sons and daughters, we can reflect the preeminence of the Christ because he is the source that we are rooted and grounded in. We are rooted and grounded in the Christ. And we're going we're gonna to see that as we walk through this book of Colossians. So the love and peace of the Father should rule in us, giving the Christ first place in everything that we do. The mind of Christ, uh, the spirit of Christ, everything that the Christ represents should have preeminence in us and should be the source that leads us into, into all truth. Now these first 11 verses, Paul gives a greeting and then in verses 9, 10, and 11, He's, he's uh, is exhorting them to give the Christ the preeminence. So let me just start out. I want to cover verses 11, 12, 13, and 14 today, and then we'll come back and, and kind of review those and hit, hit them on a deeper level and carry it on through verse 18 next week. But stay with me for both these teachings because they, they dovetail together and they're extremely important to you as a follower of Jesus. All right, verse 9, he says this, chapter 3 and verse 9. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. He said, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, we don't cease to pray for you and to ask, and here's what Paul's asking, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Verse 10, That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering and joy. So Paul is, is coming right out in verses 9, 10, and 11, and he's saying, we really need to trust in the Christ that is within us to be our knowledge, our wisdom, our spiritual understanding. And Paul prays that our, our knowledge would continue to increase, that our knowledge of him would continue to increase, which would produce um, uh, some very admirable qualities in us, including peace, long-suffering, and joy. So Paul, right up front, says, look, we, we, need to get, we need to get this firmly established in your mind that the Christ needs to have preeminence in all that you do because he will impart to you and give to you important traits and, and, uh, and, 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 and character advances that will produce in you what you have tried so hard to produce in yourself but haven't been able to. Then in verses 12 to 18, he talks about the sufficiency of the Christ. Now, as I walk you through a little bit of this, I, I, I wanna remind you that when we talk about the sufficiency of the Christ and the importance of the sufficiency of the Christ, it should in turn make us sufficient as we recognize and, and yield to his fullness not only in us, but the fullness of Christ as us. Now, that's, that's a part that the church has not emphasized very much, is that the fullness of the Christ dwells in us, that it might reflect as us. 
So let's walk, walk through verses 12, 13, and 14 this morning, and I want you to see some things that maybe you haven't seen before or to let some things settle down in your spirit. And this should give you some tremendous security, should give you tremendous confidence. And as, as you do, as you trust him, uh, you will grow in knowledge and wisdom and spiritual understanding. As Paul said, peace will, peace will expand, patience will expand, uh, long-suffering with joy begin to increase in your life. So when we look at verses 12 to 18 and we talk about the sufficiency of the Christ, it should help us to see the sufficiency as we yield to Christ, his sufficiency in us as us. Now let's come, let's come with verse 12. Philippians or Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12 says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Giving thanks to the Father. See, the Father works through the Christ. The, the, the Christ is the creative agent. The Christ is the active agent. He is the one that indwells you. We'll read it again in a little while, but it's what, it's what really rose up within Paul was the recognition of the Christ that had always been in him. And the Father revealed that Christ to Paul. And when he revealed the Christ to Paul, Paul came awake. Paul, Paul's eyes opened up and he began to see like he never saw before. So this 12th verse is extremely important. He says, we need to give thanks to the Father who works through the Christ, who has qualified us to be a partaker of the inheritance in the light. Now let's just establish this this morning in verse 12, right off the bat, that he, is the, he alone is the qualifier. He qualifies you for everything that we're going to talk about. He qualifies you to have a Christ consciousness. He qualifies you to have a mind of Christ. I, I, I love the way that Paul worded that. He said, giving thanks to the Father, now watch, this is past tense, who has qualified us. Who has qualified us? I, I like the past tense. You're already qualified. There isn't anything that you can do to qualify yourself. I like the past tense, and you know what I like? When I read scripture and I read past tense, I like it because it takes it out of my hands. It takes all the responsibility that I carried for years to qualify me, to do things that would qualify me. It takes it out of my responsibility, and it lets me lean back into what he has fully accomplished. Honestly, if he's fully accomplished qualifying me, then why do I try to qualify myself? I, I guess there's just something maybe built into human nature that is groomed by religion that fans that need that we feel we have to somehow qualify ourselves. Now, what does that mean to be qualified? To be qualified means that you have been made sufficient. You have been rendered fit. Uh, there's nothing further to add. You're officially recognized. When, uh, when a doctor is qualified, he is fully recognized. There's no more classes he has to take at that point. He's rendered fit. He is sufficient to practice medicine. When a, when a uh, young lawyer passes the bar, he's fully recognized. He's officially recognized as an attorney at law. He has a doctor of jurisprudence. He's fully qualified. He's fit. He's sufficient. And Paul says, that it has been the Father through the Spirit, through the Christness, that has qualified us. That's what Paul recognizes qualified him. I quoted the verse just a couple of minutes ago, but and we, we studied it when we were back in Galatians. But let's go back and read this in Galatians, because this, this is what Paul brought to the surface and said, this is the thing 
that, that I really, uh, really looked at that opened my eyes and turned it around for me. In other words, Paul said, this is what made me feel qualified. Verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. How many times have I read these verses to you? He called Paul by his grace. Verse 16, why did he call Paul by grace? To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So Paul said, look, what really, what really flipped the switch, what really turned the light on was this recognition of the Christ that was in me. That, when Paul saw that, he felt qualified. And immediately, the rest of the verse says, he didn't confer with flesh and blood, but in fact went out to the desert and kind of worked out the details, probably got his mind renewed, uh, got some things straightened out that he had questions about. But this was the launch for Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, that reinforced his qualification. Now, what was it that qualified the 12? Well, let's come over to Matthew 4. I want to look, look at a couple of qualifications. Because this morning, if I, if I don't get anything else established, I want to get established that he has fully qualified you. He's rendered you fit sufficient. There's nothing more to be added. He has done that. He, he has qualified you. So I, I want just to let that settle down in your spirit because some of you have spent a lifetime trying to qualify yourself, trying to measure up, trying to be good enough, and you uh, feel like you have failed miserably, that it hasn't worked out for you. And what the Spirit of God would say to you this morning, what the Christ spirit, what the Christ within you would say is, I've fully qualified you. There's nothing more you need to do. Now, here's what qualified, here's what flipped it for the disciples. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, now this, this is what qualified them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So you know what they did? Verse 20, they immediately left their nets. So what, what was there about this guy that they had probably never met? They might have seen him wandering around the shoreline, some never met. When he said, guys, come follow me. And what I hear in that, Jesus is saying, guys, I'm qualifying you. I'm going to qualify you to be fishers of men. You've looked out here and you've been great fishers of fish but I got something bigger in store for you and I'm qualifying you to do it. I am qualifying you to be a fisher of men. And there's something that resonated in them. The light came on, they saw it, and they immediately left their nets. Now, that, you talk about an act of faith. They left the family business. They left the thing that had created their livelihood, their entire adult life, maybe even from adolescence. And they went and they followed Jesus. Why? Because in his words, follow me, they felt qualified. What was it that qualified Jesus? Let's back up, or let, let's, let's just back up a chapter to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, he came up immediately out of the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God. He saw the Christ, saw the, Christ, the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove, and it lighted on him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. So what was it that made Jesus feel qualified? Jesus had lived 30 years up to this point. Uh, I'm sure he, he recognized there were things going on in his life. He had a relationship with the Father. 
but there came this stamp of approval on the life of Jesus, and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. Actually, we see, we see the Trinity in those verses. We see the Father, we see the Holy Spirit as a dove, and we see the Christness in Jesus now awakening, right? And so Jesus immediately then begins his earthly ministry because now he feels qualified. Where before maybe he, he, he knew a lot of things, but he didn't have that little nudge, that little push. And maybe you've, you've kind of felt that same way. You felt a lot of things going on in your life. You felt a lot of stirring. You've been excited about what the Spirit of God has been saying to you, revealing to you. And now, as your Christness is revealed, it's going to be that little push that moves you forward out into the deep. So what is it that has qualified you? We just read it in verse 12. He has qualified you. He himself personally set a seal on you as much as he did the two fishermen when he said, come follow me, or as much as the Father and the descending spirit put on Jesus when Jesus came up out of the water baptized. He has positioned you. He has fully recognized you. There's nothing more that you need to do. He has claimed you. He has, he has brought an awareness that you are fully embraced in the family, that there's nothing you have to do to become part of the family. You are part of the family of God. He has, he has qualified you. You don't have to try to qualify you anymore. That should take a lot of pressure off of you. Paul was probably trying to take the pressure off of the Colossians that were maybe being pushed or besieged by the Judaizers or by Jews or maybe by um, you know, other religions of the day to, to leave this crazy path that they were following. And Jesus is coming and giving them some confidence, or Paul's coming and giving them some confidence that Christ is speaking out of Paul and he's saying, you have been fully qualified. Now, what have they been qualified for? This is where it gets good. The rest of that 12th verse, and let me get back over to, over to Colossians chapter 1. The rest of that, that, that 12th verse in Colossians chapter 1, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. Here's what they qualify for. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. He's qualified us through the Spirit, through the awakening of the Christ that is within us. Now here's what he's qualified us for. To be a partaker of of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So when you walk in the light, when that light within you begins to shine, you understand you've been qualified, you have an inheritance. Now this, I gotta set on this one for just a few minutes. He has qualified you to be a partaker of the inheritance that every saint has. So what, what, does, what does that inheritance include? I'm glad you asked. Back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Because this is why we want the, the Christ, this is why we recognize the Christ as the root, the foundation of everything that we have, everything we do, our very existence, our being, is rooted in the Christ. Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12. Here's, here's your inheritance. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, watch, here, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. 
The things that have been freely, if you have your Bible underlined freely, because when something has been freely given, that means you don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to confess for it. You don't have to believe for it, exercise faith for it, uh, jump through any hoops for it. It's, it's freely being given to us. So the question is, we want to know the things that have been freely given to us, right? As a saying in life, what, what he said in, in Colossians 1, 1.12. So my question to you is, what do you want? What is it that you desire? Maybe you should ask for it. He is the one, and I'm going to draw again on what we've learned. He's the one that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If there's a desire in your heart that you would like to see fulfilled, maybe you should ask. Maybe you should request. But maybe you should do it in a particular way that the Christ would show you. Come with me to Mark chapter 11 and verse 24. Let's see if we can't un uncover a little nugget here. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. You know, things of the kingdom are relatively simple. They're not hard to understand. You don't need a degree in theology. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the kingdom. Here's what he said. Therefore, I say to you, whatsoever things you ask when you pray, whatsoever things, I think the King James says, whatsoever things you desire, if there's a desire, then you ask. And whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, ask, believing that you receive them and you will have them. Now, question is this. When do you receive them? When they show up in your hand, when the mailman brings the check to the door? When do you receive them? He said you receive them when you pray. So if there's a desire that you have in your heart, there's an inheritance that you want to collect, you need to ask for it. And when you ask for it, when you put a desire, a demand on the desire, at that point you receive it. it doesn't have to show up, you receive it. So now this, let me just take you down a couple of A, B, C, Ds on this, all right? So let me ask you this. When you pray and ask and you receive it, that entails this. So my question is, this is what it entails. When you ask, can you see it already in your mind? Can you see it? Do you act like you already have it? Can you respond like you're already in possession of it? Or, or, or do you wait until you see some evidence of it? Can you, can you hold the picture? When you ask, receive. Now you have to have a picture of something you're going to receive or you wouldn't know what to receive. So my challenge to you is this, when you pray, you to tap into that inheritance and the inheritance are what things you desire when you pray and you tap into it, do you have the picture in your mind that you can hold on to that you desire until the spirit does one of two things? It either leads you to the picture in your mind or it brings it to you because that's the two ways it's gonna manifest. It's going to lead you to it or it's going to bring you or it's going to bring it to you. But the key is this, when you pray, you receive it. So what that says to me is that you have to get a picture of it in your mind. If I'm going to if I'm going to pray for a brand new car, if I if I desire a new car, then I need to get a picture in my mind of the car that I desire. Do I, do I desire a two-door, four-door? What color car do I desire? What equipment would I like on it? Is it a convertible or a hardtop or a four-door sedan? What is the make? Is it a brand new car or used car? 
See, there are all kinds of things that you ask yourself to get the picture as precise as you can, and I'm going to tell you why. Listen very closely. Your mind is very objective. Your mind determines what you think. Your mind determines the pictures that you form. Your mind determines the imaginations. Your mind is what plants those picture seeds into your spirit. The mind is objective. The, the, the mind wants to think exactly, all right? So the more you, if you're gonna ask, you need to ask specifically. And when you ask specifically, you get the picture in your mind of it. Now, this is one thing I think we, we missed in the word in faith. We would just ask and then we would receive it. But we didn't, we didn't really get it down and we for sure didn't take it this next step, which is understanding that the mind is objective, but your spirit is subjective. That means the spirit will respond to whatever the mind tells it, okay? Whatever the mind has created, whatever, whatever the mind has put into, into production, it drops that seed into the spirit, and the spirit's job then is to go get it or to lead you to it. One of the two things, either bring it to you or take you to it. Now, the challenge is, can you hold it firmly in your mind until the spirit takes you to it or brings it to you? Now, the mind gives the picture, but I'll tell you what the mind cannot do. The mind cannot tell the spirit how to do it or when to do it. All the mind can do is make the request. The mind is not the creative force. The creative force is the Christ within. Did you hear me? The creative force is the Christ within, not your head. The head drops the picture. The Christ says, I, I, I can make that happen. So he goes to work. Now, I can't tell you how long it will take. I can't tell you when it will be. But I can tell you this, that whatever you have planted in your spirit, you're living it today. Here's the conclusion I've come to. I'm pretty much living the life that I've created. I've, it's been under my control. I've pretty much created the life I've created. If I'm happy, if I'm, if I'm depressed, if I'm, I'm, I've created this. If I'm depressed, I'm probably living in the past somewhere thinking I should have done something different, should have made mistakes, I uh, wish I could do it over again. All that's depressing. If I'm anxious, uh, I'm living in the future, right? Because I don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring, so I'm anxious about it. Those things, those things will rob your inheritance. They will steal from you, absolutely will. Absolutely will. Well, what's the safety valve on this? Why don't I just get a picture in my mind of all my enemies, you know, having a hard time, you know, getting cancer, uh, suffering in life? What's to cause my mind to not create havoc and plant those seeds in my spirit and they be produced? Well, there might be some havoc in your life that you have produced yourself. And if you look back, you can think you never did anything until you first had the thought. Nobody robs a bank until they first think about it. Nobody robs a bank until they get a picture in their mind of walking into the bank, having a gun or whatever, bomb, and telling the teller, fill the bag full of money. And they have a picture in their mind walking out, getting in the car, or whatever form of getaway they're going to use uh, to get away from the bank. All that is created in the mind, 
and it's dropped in the spirit and it, and it eventually manifests. You're living a life today pretty much that you've created. I know you're, you're probably going to uh, private message me a gazillion how abouts and I don't think this was. And I understand that. I'm talking to you about pulling on your inheritance. The mind of Christ is a creator. It is never a destroyer. Whenever the mind of Christ goes to work, and that is the safety valve. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16 that you have the mind of Christ. That's the safety valve. The mind of Christ is not going to think about destroying people. Mind of Christ is not going to put a picture in your mind of robbing the bank. The mind of Christ is going to put into your mind creative ideas. It's going to put in there things that you desire or that you need or that you would like to have that fit in with the mind of Christ. The same mind that directed Jesus, that directed, that, that produced the seeds of creation in the Christ. Christ was the active, active force in creation. The Father had, had the picture. The Father didn't just walk out one day and create. The Father knew what he was going to create on first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, and rest of the seventh. He had it mapped out. He had a picture in his mind. It was put together like he wanted it to be put together. And the Christ, the Spirit of Christ, went to work to create it. That Christ was the active force in creation. Everything that was created was created by him. It wasn't Jesus. Jesus is the flesh man that encased the Christ. Jesus, the man, with the mind of Christ, walked in full inheritance of the Father. Study the life of Jesus, and you can see what that life looked like. I will say it again. I've said it a hundred times that you are, let me put it here, I am Don the human that, that encases the Christ. And the Christ is expressing itself through Don the flesh man. Jesus was 100% human, 100% divine. He was not 50-50. He wasn't half man, half God. He was fully man, fully God, fully divine. All right, you, You're not half man, half God. You are a partaker of the divine nature. You are created in the image of God. He blew his breath of eternal life into you. You are, you are as, as solid as gold. All right? Now, you're, you're, you've got this flesh body that is encased that. You're, you're living it. You're demonstrating it. Jesus walked it out. And so when we, when we read the Gospels, one of the most valuable things of the Gospel, look, our, our theology comes from Paul, post Post-resurrection theology is Paul. He's the man. But when you want to see a life that is lived out, walking out the inheritance of the Father, look at the life of Jesus. How Jesus acted, what his attitude was. Uh, how the Father responded to him. How he responded to the Father. He demonstrated it for all of us to see. Now Jesus tried to teach the disciples to let the mind of Christ put pictures in their mind that would plant seeds in their spirit to create results. Can I walk you through just a couple of these? I want you, I want you to see these because these are important. This is, what, this is Jesus training the disciples. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. This, this is good stuff. I know it's a little deep, but it's good stuff. John chapter 4 and verse 35. See, as we manifest as sons and daughters, this is the stuff we live in. This is what we begin to practice. 
Jesus was teaching the disciples to live like he lived, and so he's trying to get them to create a picture in their mind to drop the seed into their spirit that the spirit could reproduce. Now, here's what Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 35. He said, do not say there are four months and then comes the harvest. He said, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. Now, there, were, there might have been fields there or there might not have been fields there. It might have been imaginary. I don't know. He said, look at the fields. What was he doing? He's putting a picture in their mind when they lifted their eyes. Let's just say for the sake of argument, there were fields there. But when he says, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, what they saw became a picture in their mind. They saw the fields. And Jesus says, look at the fields, for they are already ready for the harvest. So what was Jesus trying to plant in their mind? He was trying to plant in their mind the picture that the world is ready for harvest. To look out into the world and see that we don't have to wait three months, six months, or a year. We don't have to wait for uh, you know, a special occurrence to take place for, for the, the harvest to come in. Jesus is saying the harvest is already ready. And I, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get into that rabbit trail. I just want you to see Jesus was training them to put a picture in their mind that could be produced. So let, let me make it a little bit more specific. Mark chapter 6. Back up just a little bit to Mark. Mark chapter 6, and let's look at verse 35 and verse 36. Let me give you a backdrop. They've been out teaching a multitude all day long. The day had worn on. The people had need. The people were getting restless. The children were crying. Everybody was hungry. So in this sixth chapter, in verse 35, the disciples come back and says in verse 35, when the day was far spent, the disciples came to him and said, this is a, a deserted, deserted place, a deserted place, a desert place and the hour is late. Now here's the picture they had. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. So the picture the disciples had in their mind was to send them out and they saw them leaving in the fields being empty and everybody going in uh, you know, to Panera Bread or McDonald's and buying something to eat because they'd been out there all day. Jesus didn't just teach for 30 minutes or 50 minutes like I do on the digital cathedral. He was teaching for hours. The day was far spent. So they had a picture in their mind of dismissing them and going. Now watch what Jesus does. Jesus plants a very specific picture in the mind of the disciples in verse 37. Jesus answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, so what, what's Jesus planning? He's planning a picture in their mind of them feeding the multitude. They could not get the picture. I think sometimes we can't get a big enough picture in our mind of what he's trying to do with us, what he's trying to do through us, for us, as us. I don't, it doesn't, the, the picture is too big. And so they said, they still didn't get the picture. And so they, here's the picture then they had. Shall we go into town by 200 denarii of bread and give everybody something to eat? Now, I don't think Jesus would have asked them, give them something to eat if they had not been able to give them something to eat. I think they had an opportunity to have a great miracle, to be partakers in a tremendous miracle and feed the multitude. Now, they didn't do it. So Jesus let them be part of it. And he said, okay, guys, what do we got here? You know, we got five loaves, two fish. Get everybody to sit down. Let me, sh get, let me, sh let, let me give you a visualization of this. 
So then he took it, blessed it, gave it to them, and they fed the multitudes, right? They fed the multitudes. I don't think Jesus would have asked them to do it if they had not been able to do it. The holdup was they could not get that picture in their mind to put the seed into their spirit to produce what Jesus was able to produce. Jesus saw the multitude being fed. It dropped into his spirit. And supernaturally, we would look at supernaturally, he took five loaves, two fish, and fed everybody. The Christ consciousness brought to Jesus what he needed to have. It didn't lead Jesus to town to get food. It brought to Jesus what he needed to have. So Jesus was trying to elevate them, but they couldn't get the picture. So when pictures come into your mind, if they fit the mind of Christ, form them. Make them as precise and exact as you can and hold them. If, you, if, you're, if your kids are going nuts, I want you to see your children whole. I want you to see your children off drugs, off alcohol. I want you to see that that child is in prison. I want you to see them free as a bird, and I want you to hold that in your mind. If you're wanting to start a business, think about the business. What kind of facility do you want? What kind of equipment will you need? What kind of cash for startup will you have? Most of the time, we haven't built enough into the picture that we can put the right seeds into our spirit that will either lead, it to, lead us to it or bring it to us. Right? Jesus knew how to draw the pictures in the mind. You have an inheritance from the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 that he has blessed us, right, with everything that pertains to life and godliness. He has blessed us with everything, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He's blessed us with everything pertaining to life and godliness. How do you tap it? Mark eleven twenty four. whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them as you pray. The picture is fixed, and you will have them. Now, is this, is, I, I know this doesn't compute in the natural. I'm seeing it work in my life. I'm, I'm, I am seeing this happen in my life. See, the pictures that he plants in your mind are not going to be pictures of you barely being able to get along. What does the mind of Christ in you desire? Take the limits off that inheritance. Take the limits off your inheritance. The inheritance you have is big. It's everything that pertains to life and godliness. You're, a, you're an heir of the Christ. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Look how he builds that. If you, you should go over and underline that verse in Ephesians 3.20. Watch how he builds. He is able to do exceedingly, if he could just do exceedingly above what I ask or think, I would be pretty happy. But he's exceedingly, if it was just abundantly, all that I could ask or think, I would be happy but he does exceedingly, abundantly, above all. And if it was just what I asked, I would say, man, that's, that's a wonderful inheritance. But he says it's exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I can ask or think. And I can think a lot of things. My mind can, can move on. I'm learning to take the, the parameters off of my inheritance. I haven't even scratched my inheritance yet. My inheritance includes 
giving a lot to other people. I want to pull other people out of the mess they're in. That's my inheritance. If Jesus could do it, I can do it. it look, it might take a little while, and you might want to use your I amness. This is where your I amness comes in. I, I am healthy. I am wealthy. I am able. I am equipped. I am the owner. See, I am that I am. I'm a chip off the old block. I, 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 I have a divine nature. My DNA, the, 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 the DNA of the Father courses through my veins. And I'm, I'm awakening to that. I am not the same guy that I used to be at all, at all. I don't see like I used to see. I don't think like I used to think. I don't perceive like I used to perceive. And you know what? The world around me has changed. I don't live in the world I used to live in. Do you know why, do you know why we haven't understood verse 12? Why we, why we haven't understood that he has qualified us to be a partaker of the inheritance? We have, nobody ever taught us about that. Nobody ever told us that we were qualified. Nobody ever told us what our inheritance was. You know why we've walked way below that? Because most of us, listen, we're down at the church house, spinning our wheels, listening to dead, dry messages, trying to tell us how to qualify ourselves. And I spent years as a pastor because I didn't know what, what it was. I spent years trying to figure out how to qualify so that I could tell people how to qualify themselves and I could never produce what I wanted to produce. I'm producing things I want to produce now because I'm, I, I, I'm off my hands. It's not my responsibility. He's qualified me. The Father in his great love has qualified us and deemed us fit to have full access to the inheritance that belongs to us. It's his promise, his provision. It's his presence, his protection. It, it, it totally takes the pressure off of me. I don't live a life of pressure anymore. All the pressure that I lived in life was pressure I put on myself. That's why I say that pretty much we live the life that we conceive in our mind and it puts in our spirit and it's produced. Pretty much we live that life. Pretty much we do. And I would, just, I would just tell you again, if you're anxious or depressed or whatever, you, you know, get off the past, get off the future, in the now. Do, do, you, have, do you have lunch? <laughs> then, then be at peace. Is your, is, is your car running now? Be at peace. If your car's not running, be at peace. Visualize it running. Visualize the parts coming that you need. See, get, there's a way for you to live in the kingdom that you've never considered before. Now, verses 13 to 18. Man, I'm, I, I'm going to have a lot to cover next week. Verses 13 to 18 is the universal cosmic Christ, which really is the title of this two-part message, the universality of Christ. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm driving at in this first chapter. Verses 13 to 18 is the universal cosmic Christ and how he qualified us through Christ. We're qualified first. We're qualified for an inheritance. Now, when you begin to walk in the inheritance you're gonna to begin to understand some things. Now, here's what the cosmic Christ has done for you. Verse 13, verse 13 to 18 is the universal cosmic Christ in, in ways that he has qualified us that we couldn't do ourselves. And in verse 13, notice again, this is what he has done. Verse 13, all right, let me come back over to Colossians chapter one and verse 13. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. All right, so we got you qualified. We got you walking in an inheritance. Now watch verse 13. 
He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed, or King James says, translated us into the kingdom of his son or the son of his love. So he has done something. He has taken you out of one reality and placed you into another reality. This may be one of the hardest things for us to understand that we've been qualified for. Part of the inheritance that we have is this translation or this moving from one kingdom to another kingdom. And the kingdom that you came out of is the kingdom that you lived in. You were groomed by education, by culture, by peer pressure to live in. Now he's taken you and he has delivered you or translated you into another kingdom. In this other kingdom, it's a new ball game. It's a new way of life. You can't live in the kingdom he has delivered you into, the kingdom of his son, with kingdom of darkness rules. And that's what we've tried to do. We've wanted the inheritance. We've wanted the kingdom to manifest, but we've tried to do it with old, old kingdom rule, and, and it doesn't work. So he's taken you out of the influence of darkness, out of the power of destruction. He's taken you away from uh, death. He's taken you away from negative forces, and he has brought you into a kingdom of light and abundance and life. He did it. He did it all by himself, just like he did verse 12. Did you notice that? He qualified us, verse 12. And verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness, and he has translated or delivered us into the kingdom of his son. How did he do that? He did that by shining the light that was already in you the Christ, the Jesus light. The Bible says, First John, or not First John, just Big John, St. John chapter 1, verse 9, says that Jesus is the light. And this is another one. Man, I'm giving you so many verses you need to underline because you weren't taught this in church either. Jesus is the light that lights every man, every, every, every single man without exception that comes into the world. Did you come into the world? Then you got a Jesus light in you. Now the switch may not be flipped, that's what I do. I'm a, I'm a switch flipper. That's my ministry. I flip switches. Where there's darkness, I flip to switch and see light. I'm not about deconstruction. I'm not about fighting the old. I'm not about trying to repair the old. I'm about flipping light switches. Because I learned a long time ago, when the light comes in, the darkness goes. When truth, when truth fills, lies leave. So I'm about light and life and truth. That's what I'm about. Because darkness, death, and, and all of that mess goes. That's a very positive way to rebuild your life. I know people that have used deconstruction today, they're, they're a mess. They don't know what to believe. They have deconstructed everything until they don't believe anything that, about anything. They're just wandering around out in the desert someplace. The first thing, when he flips the switch, when the light comes on, the first thing he does is to make you aware that you are fully qualified to become aware that you're in a new kingdom. That's one of the things you're gonna become aware of, that you're in a brand new kingdom, that he's, he's qualified you, all right? He's qualified you to have an inheritance, and he's qualified you now to function in a brand new kingdom. And as you function in this new kingdom, I'm telling you what, it's exciting. You've, I don't know how you feel, but I get so excited. I, I feel exuberance. I feel like I've been born again again. I see things I never saw before. I, I, I read my Bible with different eyes. I see people from a different perspective. It's, it's an entirely different world. And it, when I see people caught up in Luke chapter four, verse 
18 and 19 that need the gospel because they're poor, that are, are brokenhearted, that are captives, that are messed up, jacked up, that need to be restored. When I see those things, when I see those things, I want to help them. See, I'm no longer driven by ego. I'm no longer driven by a need to win. I don't have to, I don't have to out-debate anybody. I don't have to outpost uh, somebody's post. If somebody disagrees, that's fine. Let them go where they're going. They'll get it. Sooner or later, they'll get it. You, you're, you're free to be yourself. That's, that's the greatest freedom in the world. You don't have to try to be anybody else. And when you're free to be you, that frees you to be a follower and an heir of Christ. It also frees you. You don't have to fight the devil anymore. You don't have to any longer give power to that which has no power. This is a process. I understand it's a process. It's, it's a continual shining of light. It's getting a brighter light bulb, 40 watt, 60 watt, 100 watt. And, and the darkness hates it. The darkness hates when light comes. Darkness basically is your ego. That's what I think darkness really is. It's yourself. It's your ego. It's when you're soulish driven. When your mind, your will, your emotions have gotten a hold of your life and they control you. And they feed off circumstances. They feed off what the visible eyes see. So that darkness, when the light comes on, darkness tries to tug on you. It tries to entice you, but it has no power over you. When you come into the kingdom of light, darkness has no power over you unless you give power to that which has no power. You, you, you need to think and ponder and be kingdom of God inside-minded. You need to become kingdom of God aware. You need, you, you, because to the degree that you're not aware of the kingdom, if there are places in your life that you're not sure how the kingdom could work, those are the places that darkness has a tendency or ego self to come back in. And that's where, the, that's where the warfare is. The warfare takes place in your mind between what the Spirit of God is enlightening you to, what the light is shining, and what the old, the old tried habits try to tell you you, 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 you need to not let go of. I, I mean, when I first got this thing that I was qualified, you know what my mind told me? You're not qualified. There's things you've done in life that disqualifies you. You, you're, you're, you're not living in a real world anymore, man. Who do you think you are? You're, you've gotten out there with a buffalo roam and a deer and an antelope play. You're, you've gone way too far. People are going to think you're crazy. You've lost your mind. You're right. I've lost my mind. I've got the mind of Christ now. <laughs> all of that, all of that thinking, I'm not qualified. I don't deserve. Uh, people are going to think I'm crazy. All of that is a way that you give away your power to that which has no power. So this is where identity comes in. You, when we have a wrong identity, we have a wrong perception. And where you have wrong perceptions, you live wrong. You aren't in that kingdom of darkness anymore. But you can live in a kingdom or you can live in a way that is not you. I see it all the time. When people act up, you know, when they, when they have a temper tantrum or they, they're selfish that's not who they really are. They're acting like somebody who they aren't. And we, we can live in a kingdom that we are not a citizen of. It would be like this. If China sent you an email and said, you owe the Chinese Republic $1,000 in income tax, would you write them out a check and send it? Or would you go, 
Forget that. I'm not, I'm not a Chinese. I, I'm not a, a citizen of China. I'm not paying that. You wouldn't send the money because you're not a citizen of that kingdom. In the same way, when ego tries to pull you back into your old pattern, your old habits, or tells you you're not qualified, you're not good enough, uh, you're, that you're not living in the real world, you're not living in the visible world anymore. You're living in a different dimension, a higher consciousness. You're, you're living in a place you never lived before. I'm gonna talk more about this, but verse 13 is telling us that we're out of the power of darkness and we are now in a different kingdom, in a different domain. So I don't teach about darkness anymore. I don't fight the darkness. I cast down every thought that would exalt itself against the knowledge that I get over in this kingdom. This kingdom tries to put thoughts in my head that are not consistent with this kingdom. So when this kingdom tries to flood my mind with lies about this kingdom, I cast them down. So where, where do these things occur? They occur in your head. So we're back to whatsoever things you desire. If you don't desire it, don't ask for it. If you don't desire it, don't picture it. That's what I want to say. If you don't desire it, if you don't want it, don't run the movie. Don't put the movie in your mind. Don't let it become a double feature. I got good news for you, and I'm done. I'm, I'm a little over this morning. I got, I got news for you. Because he's qualified you and delivered you out of the power of darkness and put you in the kingdom of God's Son, the day of mind games are over. You don't have to play mind games anymore. You have been qualified to live in a consciousness that, trans, that transcends any downward pull that would want to uh, put on your mind or, or a kingdom that you're no longer enslaved to that wars with your head. He has placed in your bank account an inheritance. And you can draw on that inheritance anytime you want. And the way that you draw on it is through your imagination, through the desires that he has put in your head, right? Those Christ man desires will pull on the inheritance. Now, last week we studied what limits that inheritance. And I'm not going to go back over Philippians 4, but the anxiety, the lack of peace, all those things, what enhances it from Philippians 4 is when you begin to think on things that are good, pure, perfect, lovely, and of good report, that enhances your ability to integrate the inheritance into your life. So let me just end up with Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So Digital Cathedral, my church, let's begin to get a picture in our minds of all that he has given to us, all that he has freely given to us. What Ephesians says is abundantly above all that we could ask or think, exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Don't be hesitant. Be bold in your asking. Be bold in your imaginations, knowing that he has fully qualified you. All right, I want to finish this up next week. Part B, Wednesday night, we'll carry it just a little bit further. Thank you. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. Thank you for being part of the Digital Cathedral, for being part of the family that we are together for responding and for committing yourself to sharing this teaching with those that are ready to hear it. We'll see you next Sunday morning, August the 16th on the Digital Cathedral.